This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give this show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done and kingdom come in your life. Well, this morning, as we come to the final verses of Titus, can you believe that we're already through Titus? I can't believe this. For you all that have been around me long enough, this is the quickest I've ever preached through a book. This is wild. I don't even know what to do. So we're coming to the final verses of Titus this morning. And this short letter from the Apostle Paul to a protege has been, I think it's been abundantly useful and helpful for us in this initial seven or eight weeks of Silver City Church, the church plants. Because Titus, it has much ado, not about nothing, but much ado with church planting and healthy churches. I've called Titus the field guide to church planting because it is small. It's a small letter. It's easy to digest, and it's urgent. It's quick-paced, like do this, 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 this. It's almost like you would expect in, in modern day a, a memo from the boss, an email, right? It's, it's to the point. Church planting requires this to-the-point kind of urgency because there are many variables. Sometimes... They're variables you don't even count on, right? Titus has shown us thus far these big variables of the faith. Thus today, as we conclude our study of Titus, we need to quickly look back uh, at our field guide, kind of thumb back through the table of contents quickly to examine our own field and I pray reap a harvest of fruitfulness. Amen? All right. I'm going to re-preach Titus to you real quick. In chapter 1, we were called by Paul to have the knowledge of the gospel, have a, a unifying common faith, and to be joined to an eternal hope of reconciliation and restoration, all based in the God who never lies, called to be servants and messengers of God our Savior. We studied how Paul told his protege Titus that the church needs good leadership. And this good leadership is for the purpose of making excuse me, the church stable, acting as a cast for broken bones, and that this leadership is not haphazard, it's not random, it's calculated, and it's godly men emulating Christ so the flock would emulate them, that the leadership is worth echoing. Paul also gave us an exhortation to be unified in faith, that false teaching must be far from the church, but when it does come up, there is to be rebuke, an attack against it, a, a rebound against it, in order to cause those who believe incorrect teaching or teach something incorrect to become repentant and restored, not just to punch them in the mouth and get rid of them, right? And we've been enlightened to see how this elder, this ideal elder, is the steward of God's house, and God's house is His church. Chapter 2, with God's house being His church, we saw how in a house there are people, and under that house, under that roof, there are rules we examined the various roles of godly men and women, masters and slaves, how that fits into our modern, uh, modern economy and our modern things, and why we should delight to want to live godly lives, because God has saved us. Amen? 
We are godly because of this godly gospel. And then in chapter 3, we have seen thus far what it means to live out in the world, outside of the house, meaning how we are to live when we walk not in a church building or among our Christian friends. We are to be kind, courteous, accommodating to everyone from civil authorities to the guy working at the gas station, unbelievers, because we were once lost in that darkness like them, and we have the light of the gospel that we just talked about in our confession and our assurance of pardon. Last week we examined what happens when the world gets inside the church and how the church is to handle discipline and restoration. There has been much to consider in this little letter of 695 words. 695 words that I probably could have mined for 695 days for you all. So in these 695 words, there have been some massively big themes. Here's some of the big ones. Faith, grace, self-control, oh, and good works. Those have been everywhere. Titus is constantly calling us to unity and to boldness and to intentionality, to self-mastery, to devotion unto Christ in all areas of life, not just two hours on a Sunday morning. And most certainly, not just to be devoted to Christ, but to do something with it all. So, this morning, as we close Titus, we're going to go to, we're going to end how Paul ends his letter with just that. Do something with it all. Uh, We've got all this information, we've got all of this mining we've done over the past few weeks. Now, what are we going to do with it? In, uh, 1988, I wasn't born yet. I was a twinkling in my parents' eyes. Y'all are freshly married, maybe a year under your belt. Maybe a year under your belt. There was a, this little tiny company that y'all have probably never heard of called Nike, and they launched a, a, a slogan campaign that changed the course of their entire company, and you know what it was? It was what? Just do it. Just do it do it. This morning, as we think about the farming metaphor mixed with Nike, because the farmer, I'll let you know that the, the, the metaphorical farmer that we've been talking about, he's wearing some Nike boots, right? So he's wearing some Nike boots or maybe some old Nike shoes while he's farming, right? He is out in the field and he's looked at things. And if we think about this metaphor of farming established at the outset of this entire sermon series, no farmer in agriculture or horticulture, just does it for the heck of it, right? They do it with a purpose. They do something with that livestock. They do something with what they grow. Farming is not YouTube scrolling. Farming is intentional. It has a purpose. You do something with it. So that's how Titus ends. That's how Paul ends this letter. Okay, here's all this stuff. Do something with it. This is no in one ear and out the other type of information. This is no, okay, you've got all the info. You can figure out what you want to do. No, Paul is not haphazard. Paul says, okay, here's everything you've got. Here's a test case. Now just do it. To bring it all into focus this morning, we're going to put on our Nikes and we're going to walk through the last few verses and we're going to do something with it. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, I pray you have them, to Titus chapter 3, 
verses 12 through 15. Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Hear the living, inspired word of God for you this morning. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Thus says the living word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, would you guide us by your Holy Spirit and illumine our minds to receive the implanted word of the text of Titus 3, 12 through 15 this morning. Would we apply it to our lives? Would we live it out? Would you use it to change us and sanctify us to be more like your son? Would you guide me along by the same Holy Spirit who breathed out the very scriptures we seek to examine this morning? Let me be no uh, rock of offense or stumbling block. Uh, would you let every heart and every ear be soft soil for your word that would produce 30, 60, and 100 fold fruit? And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Or amen, wherever you're from. Amen or amen. Right. After giving instruction on how to handle divisive individuals like we talked about last week, Paul shifts gears to end his letter in a very typical Greco-Roman fashion. It's got lots of instruction, some final thoughts, it's got some, a greeting, kind of a final greeting from some other people, and it's got some exhortations, some stuff that I need you to do. So at the end here, what Paul tells Titus, well, let's be honest, it feels a little redundant, doesn't it? As if Paul knew Titus had a bad habit of zoning out. But that's actually for us. That's what we do. This is far from the case for Titus. Titus has vision, and Titus has grit, and Titus has devotion. Titus was a go-getter. Titus was a leader. Titus was a good steward of the grace and the gospel of God that we all need to emulate. Rather, the redundancy for Titus is uh, to give an example of how to put everything in this little letter that we've learned thus far into action, how we just do it. So, verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Paul informs Titus that two men are coming to see him. They're not there yet in Paul's mind, but they are now when Titus reads this. During this time in the world history, uh, in world history, there was no such thing as a federal mail system. Sophia, am I right on that? You're a historian. There's, there's no such thing. I, I will say I got rebuked the other day about getting some history wrong by Sophia. I just want to make sure. There was no USPS. There was no UPS. There was no Federal Express, and there was no DHL. Who uses that, right? If you had a letter you wanted someone to receive. They didn't have an address or zip code like 123 Caesar Street, right? You had to know where someone was, kind of have an idea of what they looked like if you've never met them, and go find them. And many times people would hire what are called couriers to take the letter hundreds, maybe sometimes even thousands of miles away on foot or by sea in the Roman Empire 
through dangerous routes full of robbers and wild animals and just crazy stuff, weather, right? Or you could take it yourself, which would defeat the purpose of writing a letter, right? So here, Paul says Artemis or Tychicus, they're coming to see you, Titus. When Paul was pinning this conclusion, Paul knew one of these two men who were fellow workers in the gospel would go to Titus in Crete from wherever Paul wrote this letter. And again, we're not quite certain where Paul was during this time of his life where he wrote the letter. But one of these two individuals were going to go to Titus at Crete and give him this letter. And Paul hadn't spoken to either one of them yet, or maybe he had, and he was waiting to see which one would be able to go. So Artemis or Tychicus, either one of these guys were likely the men or the man that brought Titus his letter. We know nothing else of Artemis other than he has a Greek name, given that he appears nowhere else in Scripture. We have no idea who this guy is. He, he does have the masculine version name of the goddess Artemis, also known as Diana, who is one of the seven wonders of the world with her temple in Ephesus. Huge temple. You can read about that in Acts chapter 19, and we can all get that chant going of great is Artemis of the Ephesians, right? That's what that is. So Artemis, hey, based on his name, very likely could have been an Ephesian. He could have been from Ephesus, but we don't know. However, we do know a little bit about Tychicus. That's a tongue twister. You got to say it in the back of your throat. Tychicus, right? Tychicus was from Asia. And he makes his first appearance in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, where he is a traveling companion to Paul on his way to Macedonia. Traveling with Paul to give something somewhere. Huh. Tychicus, whose name means lucky, right? Oh, lucky. Now, I have in my mind the guy's got one eye and a peg leg, all right? So Tychicus whose name means lucky, also seems to have been a faithful courier for Paul numerous times and a trusted fellow minister of the gospel, given that Paul sends him to three places and has him explain and encourage what's going on. Tychicus delivers a letter to the church at Ephesus in, in, Ephesus, uh, in Ephesians 6.21. He also delivers the letter to the Colossian church. You can read that in Colossians 4.7. And at the end of Paul's life, Paul sends Tychicus back to Ephesus to deliver the letter to Timothy, a second letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.12. Tychicus very well could have been the go-to guy for distributing the letters of Paul, the very words of God in the early church. Think about that. This one guy could have single-handedly distributed half of the New Testament around the Roman Empire. What a calling, and we'll never know anything else about him until we stand before the Lord in glory with him. And maybe his name was providential. Maybe the guy was lucky. Maybe he was able to escape highway robbers and the storms and the wild animals and all that stuff, right? Maybe it was a nickname. We don't know. Again, we don't know if Artemis or Tychicus, which one brought the letter to Titus, but this is Zachiel, right? There's no archaeological evidence. I have a hunch. I think it was Tychicus who brought it since he was so experienced in this, and we have documentation in the rest of the New Testament that he was experienced with this. So Paul tells Titus that after he receives this letter, to get the ball rolling in Crete, waste no time, and to meet him in Nicopolis to snowbird there. 
There were many cities of this name during the time period, but it's most likely that this Nicopolis was the Nicopolis up around the Adriatic Sea, hundreds of miles away from Titus, where there were nice fair weather conditions in the winter. So Paul, like my grandparents, wanted to go somewhere nice and warm, right? Paul was going to Nicopolis because it was a strategic port location to launch by land either into the Roman province of Illyricum or across the sea to the boot of Italy to get you some nice uh, scones, you know, yeah, the, 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 what are they called? Cannolis, yeah, that's scones. Just looking at Sophia, thing of her. Or down into the, the northern Africa around Alexandria or even over into Spain where we think Paul ended up eventually. Paul was actually being strategic about where he was going to spend winter in order that he may rest up and figure out where he was going to minister next. It wasn't just random. Like, oh, they've got nice flights over to Nicopolis. You want to, you want to meet me up there, Titus? No, it was strategic. Why? Hmm, we'll see that later. Verse 13, Titus, do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Here Paul gives Titus an imperative, a command, that at first may seem rather odd to us, but it actually is the practical backbone of this entire letter. Paul tells Titus to make sure two individuals are well taken care of on their next journey. Zenus and Apollos. No, it's not Zena where you're princess, okay? It's Zenus and Apollos. Now we have two other people added to the mix, don't we? We have two other people. If we conclude that it was maybe Tychicus who brought the letter to Titus, then what are we going to do with these other guys here on Crete? Who are they? What are they doing there? Well, let's look, because it's actually important. Some scholars believe that, that Zenus here is the one who brought the letter instead of Tychicus or Artemis, and he could have. But I have another theory, one that I, I find more compelling, one that I think makes more sense. Uh, many scholars believe that Paul was maybe in the Macedonia area up to the north of Crete when he wrote his letter to Titus. And he may have already been in Nicopolis, even though I don't think that's the case because he uses the future tense uh, with Titus say, meet me there. Right? I've decided to spend the winter there, not here. No one except God and Paul knows where Paul was when he wrote this letter to Titus. And I'm not going to speculate on that, but... This introduction of Zenos and Apollos to the mix, I think, gives some, some logistical insight. What does this have anything to do with it, Zach? Just trust me, you, you need this. Firstly, in the ancient world, you did not deliver letters or money or anything or travel, that, for that matter, alone. You didn't do things alone. It was dangerous. Paul rarely traveled alone. The book of Acts is replete with instances of, tra uh, of Paul traveling with companions. So why would he send Tychicus or Artemis alone to Crete with a letter? Hey, five, six, seven, 1,500 miles away, you got it. No, you wouldn't. That would have been abnormal and that would have been dangerous. So this is my theory. Here's your theory. Wherever Paul was is where Tychicus or Artemis and Zenos and Apollos were. Paul tells the letter carrier, I want to continue to say Tychicus, to take this letter to Titus and have Zenos and Apollos accompany you. Go with you. And once there, Tychicus or whoever is to stay in Crete, possibly to help sh uh, make sure that Titus' reforms take root before Titus leaves. Kind of a handing of the baton. 
Simultaneously, Zenos and Apollos have a mission that would make sense to pass through Crete, given that Crete is in the middle of the ocean somewhere, and you can launch off in any direction. Now, why do I think this? Why do I think this makes sense when we, we look at the history and the geography here? I believe this makes sense because of the last guy mentioned, Apollos. But before we look at him, we need to know something about Zenos. We know nothing of him other than his name is shorthand for son of Zeus and that he was likely a Gentile lawyer who was well-versed in civic code and politics and was a Christian. But we do know quite a bit about Apollos. Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria down in the northern tip of Africa uh, around Egypt, the Egypt area. And he was a learned man. He was brilliant. He was the whole package. He was smart and he was a scholar, and he was known for being one of the best preachers in the early church. You can read all about him in, in Acts 18, 24. He came to faith in Ephesus when he was traveling. He became friends with Paul. He went and helped plant the church in Corinth with Aquila and Priscilla, and probably did a lot of other stuff. He does seem to have been itinerant, a, a traveling preacher like Paul and the other early church uh, leaders. And Apollos Apollos, he gained a pretty big following in Corinth to the fact that Corinth was trying to split and say, I follow Apollos. No, I, we follow Paul. He was the real deal. Apollos makes it likely, I think, that this trio of people were heading south back to Alexandria, that Apollos was going to go back home for a while. Or maybe he was going to pop back over to Ephesus where he met Aquila and Priscilla, or maybe he was going to go back to Corinth, right? Crete makes sense for everyone to go where they're supposed to go. Think about this too. You've got a lawyer there who knows the law. He knows how to handle legal texts. You've got this firebrand preacher who's like the Charles Spurgeon of the early church, like just calling fire down. And you've got Titus, this great church planter, and maybe Tychicus, who's also a great encourager. Let me tell you what, for all its problems that Crete had, Crete was blessed in this moment, weren't they? They were blessed. And this too. It would make sense if this proposed trio traveled together, given the, the issues the Cretan church faced, right? False teaching about the law. Oh, that, hmm, why send a lawyer to Crete? Oh, because he knows this stuff. Plus, Crete was known as what? Evil beasts. Liars, lazy, glutton, all these things. Ooh. So you've got a Gentile lawyer who's now a Christian who understands the legal text and how they work, how civil matters operate. You've got this firebrand preacher who's gained this big following, who's, who's all over the early church. And you've got Titus. This sounds intentional. This doesn't seem random at all, does it? This sounds like Paul, honestly, sending thing one and thing two to Crete to help Titus out to get everything going. And when the job was done, they were to provide in such a way for Zenos and Apollos to continue doing their mission, whatever it was, provide for them in every way, whether it was money, food, clothing, whatever. Verse 14, what's this look like? Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Here 
is where the backbone stands the church of Crete straight up. And it should for us. Here is Paul's practicality. Titus, all of this that you just read or most likely uh, had read to you, because the courier was the custom was to read the letter like an announcement, all of this that you just heard, here's a practical test case for you. Here's how you put all this stuff into action. Here's where the rubber meets the road for you. Have the church provide for Zenos and Apollos whatever they need. Have the church give them whatever they need for the next mission. It seems last second, but it's not. It's, it's a pop-up shower on the field of the church that, ne- that desperately needs rain for growth. Paul tells Titus that helping fellow Christians in their life is a good work. It produces fruit. It's good. He gives Titus and the Cretan churches a practical avenue to begin doing the good works that Paul has been talking about through this whole little brief letter. He tells Titus and us to not help our neighbor, not only help our neighbor, right, and not to just help our Christian neighbor. He wants us to be fruitful in all areas. We need to help everyone. And here's a practical example. Titus, just do it. Just do it. This is what the field is for. We are to bear fruit. The field is there for you to till and to cultivate. We are to harvest holiness in thought and deed, faith and works. The church desperately needs to regain this today. Paul, just a few verses before, says the exact same thing in Titus 3.8, almost verbatim. Listen to this, Titus 3.8. After presenting the gospel this glorious gospel that saves us into the household of God, Paul says this, This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to what? Devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. After presenting the gospel, this glorious gospel, Paul says, here you go devote themselves teach the people to devote themselves to good works and now we have this same phrase right here at the end devote themselves to good works this is that little sandwich that literary sandwich i taught you at the beginning called an inclusio it's like bookends or a sandwich you've got your bread and everything in the middle is the meat about what that phrase or that word is all about so the people are to devote themselves to good works verse 8 what does that look like well one is not letting the world creep into the church That's the bigger task of a good work, of keeping God's house in order. Smaller task, one that's a good stepping stone for that, is to provide some of those excellent and profitable good works for Zenos and Apollos. Help them out. Just do it. Lastly, verse 15. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Paul closes his letter in Pauline fashion. Paul says his entourage that's with him sends greetings to the church at Crete. Who they were, we have no idea. It could have been Luke. It could have been Aquila and Priscilla. It could have been John Mark who was useful for Paul again. We have no idea who they were. But Paul says, everyone says hello. They're praying for you. We want you to do well. But then Paul in his, his so ch- t- um, tongue-in-cheek fashion 
says a little jab to what's going on at the Church of Crete, and we miss it so often because we make the Bible like this, oh, this holy veneer, like where we don't have any humor in it at all. Paul says, greet those who love us in the faith. Don't greet everyone. Greet those who love us in the faith. That's a little jab at what's going on at Crete. Paul is saying, don't give my salutation to those who are stirring division. Don't give my salutation to those who are false teachers that you're having to combat because I don't want them to think that I approve of what they're doing. Nope. Greet those who love us in the faith. It's a little jab, isn't it? A little elbow to the ribs. And what would that faith be that Paul's talking about? Greet those who love us in the faith. What would that faith be? The same faith that started this entire letter. The, the word faith here, pistis, in the original, in the Greek, well, you get another inclusio. You get your other literary sandwich. And this literary sandwich is an entire book of Titus. It's an entire book of Titus. Just as we have this sandwich of devoting to good works, the letter of Titus begins talking about the faith and ends by talking about the faith. And that means Everything in the middle is the meat. It's the beautiful, big ribeye sandwich about the faith that we are to have. The common faith we are to share with one another as Christians. It comes under threat by false teaching. It comes under threat by bad leadership. But not only that, the common faith we have can become anemic and deficient when those who profess to possess it do nothing with it. Or they do things with it that they shouldn't. Hence, we are to believe correctly and do good works, whether that be, I don't know, starting with yourself, a good work of self-control. And that also means not doing some things. Or proactive works like helping others learn, discipling them, providing for people. And many times, we have to learn by example through good leaders who help us see our roles and help us to live in God's house by faith. That's what the whole thing's about. What about that? Faith is not merely something you believe in. It's something that you live out. It's something you do something with. And faith, given that it is a gift of God to His people, it will be attacked either by our own flesh, by the world, or by the devil. This is why we need the abundant grace, the grace of God, which has appeared in Jesus Christ. Paul ends with just that, the grace of Jesus Christ. Grace be with y'all, if he was writing it here in the South. It's a plural, you all, meaning the church at Crete would have known about this letter that Titus had received. Grace be with y'all. Would you have grace? Would you have the strength and the guidance of God to be able to be healthy like this letter of Titus has indicated you should be? Would God give you His grace his powerful grace to see it through. Would God strengthen your faith? Would you be effective? Would you do good works? Would you do something? We need to hear that today more than ever. So what are we to do with this? This closing section of Titus may seem more of a, a historical flex, right? We've got some historical exercise going on here. And you're probably wondering, hey, that's cool. I like your theory about Tychicus and Zenos and Apollos and going to Crete and all that. That's great. Cool. What does this have anything to do with me? I live in the 21st century, not the first. Well, dear Christian, if that is you, and I pray it is, 
I have three points of application for you to consider this morning as we close out the book of Titus. The first one is this. Number one, what are you doing with the faith that you claim to have? What are you doing with the faith that you claim to have? Beloved, you who claim to have the common faith that Paul begins this entire letter with and ends it with, the faith in Christ, what are you doing with it? Is your faith something that is merely private? Oh, I, I gather in a, in a side room that didn't get destroyed by a bunch of vandals on Sunday mornings and we sing psalms and we have fun and then I go home and watch football and act like the world the rest of the week. It's private. Oh, I have Jesus in my heart. And you can't see my heart, can you? Do you hide it under a bushel? No, you're going to let it shine. Come on back up, Garrett. We'll get that going. Just kidding. <laughs> What do you do with it? It is not to be put under a bushel. Your confident assurance in Christ is not private. You know why? Because Jesus is not private. He is the publicly exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not hiding out somewhere. His kingdom come, His will be done all over the earth. It will grow as a mountain. Starts as a pebble, grows into a mountain. He is not private. He is public. Dear Christian, I want you to hear me as we've thought about this and church planting and where you're at. You have no church life and secular life divide. You don't have that. You don't get it. You are a servant of God and a messenger of Christ as Paul was. And you are, you certainly are, if you are a Christian and your entire life is subject unto serving God and guess what? Doing something with the gift of faith that God has given you. Do something with it. Just do it. Jesus tells a parable about this very thing. Jesus says, just do Do it with the gift of faith that He's given you. Don't waste it. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Hear this parable of Jesus. He's talking about when He comes back. But I want you to hear about what we're supposed to do in the meantime. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property kind of like a house to one he gave five talents to another two to another one to each according to his ability then he went away he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five more talents more so he uh, so also he who had two talents made two more talents but the one who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And also... He who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, 
reaping what you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered no seed? Hmm. It's a question mark there. Really? You think that about me? Then you ought to have invested the money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own, at least with the interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, who has will be given, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness and that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You have not been enlightened unto salvation to twiddle your thumbs. You have not been given the gift of God's faith to twiddle your thumbs and put your head in the ground and just camp out and do nothing. You have been called out of darkness into His glorious light. So walk in the light as He is in the light and do something with what He has given you. Do something with that new life. Do something. Don't just know stuff. Don't just be able to quote the Bible. That's fine and dandy. That's great. You need to learn stuff. Kids, learn your catechisms. Memorize Scripture. Go to the Proverbs and find how they apply to your life. Do it. Great, then do something with it. Don't just be Bible trivia man who just impresses everybody as the next potluck that we have. Wow. Live it out. Number two. What does that doing something look like? What does it look like? Well, it's a paradox. It's the same, but different. It's the same, but different for every Christian. God is sovereign over the life of every single human being. He's full, he is sovereign over your life. So be full of thanks toward your Creator and live in such a way that all you do, whether you eat or you drink, reflects a forgiven sinner unto a sinful world, that you would live out the gospel. Wherever He has put you and whatever He has gifted you with, you are to use that to glorify Him and not gratify yourself. Look at the end of our letter this morning. Let's look at two guys who were using their talents and were using their lives for God. Zenos the lawyer and Apollos. We know nothing of Zenos other than this title, the lawyer. But do you know what we can infer? He was a lawyer who was a Christian, just like Luke was a beloved doctor who was a Christian. Zenos didn't see his profession of a lawyer as out there, I do that Monday through Saturday, apart from the church, like a job. No, the lawyer saw his life as in here, as in the house, in God's house, and he was going to use it in his life to glorify God whether by law or delivering letters. It was just one of the talents that God had given him to steward. It wasn't something that he just did out there. No. And Apollos, a gifted preacher, a gifted scholar probably. Well, of course he's going to be used, right? Look at everything the Lord's given him. He's special. Zach, I'm not like that. 
I'm just a stay-at-home mom, or I'm just a painter, or I'm just a car salesman, or I just work at a store. I make food. You're right, you're not. But Apollos wasn't always like this. Apollos wasn't always the firebrand that he was. Back in Acts 18, Apollos shows up in Ephesus with nothing but potential. He knows about the baptism of John, but he doesn't know anything really about Jesus. So you know what happened? Two ordinary people, a husband and a wife, Aquila and Priscilla, who made tents for a living, meager work, took him aside, seeing the potential of this young man, and discipled him. Whatever your profession is, whether it's preaching like Apollos, or making tents, or raising kids, or farming, or logistics, or running a store, or mowing grass, or whatever it may be, you need to realize you are exactly where God has you for a reason, to glorify Him and to pour into others. Do something with it. No matter what lot God has given you, do it for Him. Don't begrudgingly go to work, those of you who work, and see it as a job. See it as a gift of provision from God and see it as a field of opportunity. You who are homemakers, beautify your home. Ladies, beautify your home so that all who come into it feel like they're coming into Eden. Train and raise your children in such a way that you may produce, by God's ordinary means, I don't know, the next Apollos, maybe, or maybe for, for our daughters, the next Amy Carmichael or Edith Schaefer. Do something with what you have to glorify God and benefit others. And not just others who are like you, everyone. Lastly, do something with the faith and life you have been given by God to help others. Your faith is not for yourself. It is excellent and profitable for who? All people. Titus was given an opportunity to have the church at Crete put its money where its mouth was. All right, y'all, you say you're Christians. Well, we have these two traveling Christians that need us to kind of sponsor them and help take care of them. What can we do? This was a moment for the body, the church, to take care of the body. Paul uses the analogy of the church being a house here in Titus. He uses an analogy of a bride in Ephesians. And many times he uses the analogy of the church being a body like this. Romans, 1 Corinthians. So let me ask you, when your arm itches really bad, it's one of those that like if it was a dog and you scratched it, like he'd be starting doing this thing, right? It, it, it itches so bad. What do you do when your arm itches? You go, ah, man, I'll just pray. I pray that that itch would just go away. Be warmed and filled, little arm. Be scratched. No, what do you do? This hand, if it's that arm, comes over and goes like this. I've made Diane start itching. Oh, my goodness. Ah, right? That's much better. You take the hand, a part of the body, what it's used for, what it's meant for, and you get that itch taken care of, right? Christian, you may be the itching arm. You may be in need of something. Guess what? You have fellow Christians around you, in this church at least, who are the scratching hand. You may need the help 
or you may need to be the helper. At some point in your life, you'll be one of the two. Beloved Christians, we as the people of God, individuals, families, church family, are called to take the faith we say we have and do something with it for others because the faith that has been delivered once for all to the saints, Jude 3, was given to us by God, by Christ, in Christ, and He didn't keep it for Himself. He gave it to us to do something with. You who own a business, don't get frustrated when someone in the church, especially in the church or a fellow Christian says, hey, can you help me with something? Do not let your attitude be, well, now I've got to cut them a deal. I guess, no, 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 no. If they hire you for something or maybe they just need help, whether it's a service or a good, be honest. Be honest with one another, but do it with joy. And maybe you do give them a deal, big deal. Be faithful with little and you'll be faithful with much. You who are stay-at-home moms, here's a practical thing for you. Can you host a play date for your kids and another stay-at-home mom that's in the church or that you know that's not even in church? And you tell those other moms that come to your house, hey, be over here at 8, I'll have breakfast fixed and they can play. Do you know how big of a deal that would be to some of the stay-at-home moms that are with us to be like, I don't have to cook breakfast for my kids this morning. This is great. And they get to play and get energy out. Oh, do something with it. Read the Bible together. Pray together. You who are Christians, no matter your role, what can you do to take the faith you have because of the gospel and be fruitful with it? What can you do? Can you pay the electric bill of the widow that lives next to you that struggles on a fixed income? Can you shovel snow for your entire neighborhood when it hits free of charge and when someone comes out in their weird pajama pants and a big t-shirt and says, hey, what are you doing? You just say, being a Christian. You children in the front row, I love that you're in front of me with Melody asleep. You children, you kiddos, I want to talk to you for one minute. You're being raised in the faith. You're being raised to know Christ from birth. Can you talk to everyone that you know about Jesus? Can you do that? Can you do that? Can you, let me give you one. When you go to the store with your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, whatever it is, the next time you go to the store and you're in the checkout line, can you just talk to the cashier like you've known them for 15 years. And like, hey, can I tell you what my catechism question was this week? Can I tell you what we talked about at church this week? I want to tell you about Jesus. Can you do that? I know you can because you talk about it all the time. Here, do it. You're five, six, seven years old. You have a little talent. Gain interest off of it. Do something with it. Don't be ineffective. You have siblings too, don't you? Can you share? Can you give your siblings that one thing that they really like. Maybe it's yours and they've always wanted something like it, but mom and dad can't find another one or maybe they're sold out or why don't you just give it to them and say, I love you. Can you do something with what you have? I want you all to be like a big apple tree, okay? Raise your arms up like a big apple tree. Woo, big apple tree. Samuel's doing it. My Samwise, do it. All right? A big apple tree has fruit on it, right? You go to the orchard and you pluck that apple and you eat it. But you know what you don't do? You don't get fruit off of a bad tree that's withered. Be like a big tree with lots of fruit and do stuff with it. Church, Titus has called us and will continue to call us to be in the field of the church cultivating.
constantly plowing, sowing, pruning, harvesting, for this is the task God has called us to. Would we be people who know what they believe? Would we be united in faith, live out the roles God has given to us, and do something with it all for the benefit of our Christian and non-Christian neighbors? And above all, would we have the grace of the Lord oozing out of us like it's sap in our tree? That grace uh, that has appeared in our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, who lived and died perfectly in our place, would that be what oozes out of us? Would we repent of our sins daily, build our families and individual lives upon Him, and be the gospel? We have seen the big picture of the field of church planting, and thus, here we are. We're at the end of Titus, our field guide. We've got to the last page. But what happened to Titus? No one's ever stopped and asked, what happened to Titus? Well, actually, we know. He kept doing this exact thing. When he was done at Crete, he met up with Paul, and he ended up over in the territory of Dalmatia in 2 Timothy 4.10. Titus didn't just do something for a little bit and then relax. He kept on, to quote the famous theologian Dory, he kept on swimming. He kept on doing it. He kept living out that faith. He kept doing something with it. What we know... What we do with what we know, our faith and knowledge of God, displays what we think about God, our neighbor, ourselves, and our purpose. Westminster Confession of Faith says this on good works, this whole idea about what Titus is talking about at the end. In section 16.2, it says this, These good works done in obedience to God's commands are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end, which is eternal life. That sounds like the entire book of Titus in a confession, doesn't it? Would it be that we would do this? Would it be that we here at Silver City would see the field before us as ripe, know how to tend to it, do it together, and share the fruit that comes with it individually, as families, and as the church? Grace and peace to you all. Let's pray.